0: Registry Matters is an independent production. The opinions and ideas here are that of the host and do not reflect the opinions of any other organization. If you have problems with these thoughts, FYP.
1: Recording live from FYP Studios East and West, transmitting across the internet, this is episode 250 of Registry Matters. Good evening. How are you this fine evening, sir?
2: Doing marvelous. I'm glad to be back with you one more time. Just, just once, this is the last one? I don't know. You've been trying to get rid of me for every time you ask me at the end of the session how much longer I'm going to stay, so I don't know, maybe.
1: <laughs> well, before, 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 before we do anything, I'm going to say make sure that you do all the likes and subscribes and notification bells and all those other things on YouTube to boost that algorithm and whatever game the system that's all i'm trying to do is game the system
2: you know i'm familiar with that concept gaming
1: systems (laughs) um so give me a rundown what we have going on tonight
2: we're going to be doing a revisit to an issue with cover i think on 243 registry matters correct where we talked about people who are being released discharged from military custody And we're going to be talking about their duty to register, how quickly they should register, what happens if they don't register. And we're going to have the same guest back, barring technical issues that we had back on episode 243. Then we have a number of articles to talk about. And I think we're going to have a very spectacular episode of Registry Matters.
1: Fan-freaking-tastic. All right, now. This is episode 250. And Larry, look, I have been swamped for six months. I have been like, you know what? I won't do anything for episode 200. I'll kick it back to 250. And I still haven't had any free time to do anything. So leading up to it, a couple people, knowing that this was coming, they sent a couple things to play for you. So I have two to play for you. One very short and one just delightful. Okay. So uh, without further ado. Um, I'll play these little clips for you. Okay? Are you ready?
2: Sure. All
0: right. Registry Matters and FYP Studios are proud to present their 250th episode. This just goes to prove you people will listen to anything. Do you
1: have any idea who that is?
2: I wouldn't have a clue.
1: <laughs> I'm fairly certain you know who that is. That is the individual that does the uh, the intro uh thingamajigger and then also the ending and so, anyway he's my voiceover guy and his name is rick and i adore rick now the other one that i have to play for you there is um this one comes from an individual you know as deputy and he's just he literally is a treasure he's a hoot he's brilliant he's a very 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 special individual and i'm quite happy that he is here and any issues that i have with the server anything like that technical things he helps also run the discord server but he sent one on it and he is fabulous And uh, so here's that.
3: Hey, you people. Did
1: he say you people there? Here we are. Two
3: hundred and fifty episodes of The Larry Show is in the books. This is all confusing to me. It is certainly unusual, Larry. Two hundred and fifty. Through the good, through the bad, through everything. We've now made it two hundred and fifty episodes.
1: Everyone has to drink now. It is with great privilege
3: that I now present to you this exclusive limited edition gift for being such great you peoples. Introducing Hand on That Bible, the 2023 Larry Calendar. Each month comes with quotes direct from Larry, such as,
2: You did put your hand on a Bible and you swore to uphold the law and to enforce the law.
3: Along with, 12 fully color-exclusive photographs of our favorite legal minds celebrating the seasons. See Larry holding sparklers while dressed as Lady Liberty in July. (laughs) Or the ever-elusive Larry holding a Christmas Bible while dressed as one of the wise men for December. Not available in stores and not available anywhere. It's the Hand on That Bible 2023 Larry calendar. Available never, only... From FYP Productions. But seriously, I don't want to take anything away from this monumental occasion of 250 episodes. Seriously, 250 episodes. That is insane. And congratulations. Heartfelt from the bottom of my heart. Like, wow. 250 episodes. Congratulations, Andy. Congratulations, Larry there are no words and here's to another 250 more you guys are killing it thank you guys so much for everything you do
2: any any thoughts that is really wonderful i appreciate the effort that must have gone into creating that
1: it does He he's phenomenal he's played some stuff he uh he i don't know if i should say this he's pretty anonymous but he ran a radio show larry while he was inside and did it over the telephone and got recorded and gets broadcast out. He's amazing, fantastic, and does amazing work and has a phenomenal like radio voice. So, all right, then I guess we should uh, go into this feature event. Don't you think?
2: Sure. Let's do it.
1: All right. So we will uh, Let's see you people. So we brought back the special guest who is Ashley um and her spouse is in military custody and uh, we discussed it on episode 243 as you already said and uh, why are we coming back to this so soon it seems like gosh we should have some sort of like um i don't it's not statutory limit uh, uh statute of limitations of like what should be the minimum window before we bring a guest back but this is only seven or eight weeks so we did take a couple of weeks off during the holidays why did we
2: bring her back so soon well because the issue is confusing and i feel it's a the very least FYP can do is try to help those who have served our country and they now need information about their future obligations. And especially since the information is really hard for them to obtain. And they're kind of in a a different circumstance from from the rest of the PFRs being that they get shipped to one facility and particularly mostly one state. And so we're trying to enlighten them a little bit further with information.
1: So again, it's Ashley and her husband is at the Joint Regional Correctional Facility in Fort Leavenworth. And thank you very much for joining us again. Ashley, I th- this, we tried to have you on last week even, but uh, even still, I guess short notice is still in order. So thank you again for coming back. And uh, I guess we have had sort of like proxy communications with her husband. And so we have a bunch of questions. And I'll begin with this. So I'm going to direct most of these at Larry. And then uh, Ashley, if you need to chime in, feel free to let me know and I will bring you in. Um, but to clarify uh, some of the questions I, I was asking you through Ashley, this is what Samuel wrote. I thought I would write. I have to admit, I'm thoroughly confused. As for us here, we have a Department of Defense and Department of, uh, and Department of the Army regulations stating clearly that one must register within three days release from confinement and that's army regulation 27-10 because i'm sure you have easy access to that larry larry can you explain how you can say that a person does not have to register within three days when it says so in the dod regulations
2: well i guess i'll start with what samuel explained it and and I'm going to quote from him. He said, this regulation seems to come with no mechanism of enforcement. However, as the majority of the inmates will leave here with no requirement for supervision due to having sentences of less than three years. So, how anyone would know whether or not they had registered at all or done so within three days is a mystery to me. End of quote. Okay, I'm only guessing, but my guess is that the joint regional correctional facility probably provides a list to the state of Kansas since the facility is located there. And they probably provide a list to the US Marshals tracking unit that hunts down missing PFRs. There's a there's a unit within the federal marshals operation funded by the sex offender management apprehension registration and tracking office, the SMART office. And my hunch is that the Marshals would be looking for all these people who are released because if they get that notice what they would do would be they would calendar it for a future review shortly within a, a specified number of days upon after release that they would go back and circle and look and see if that person has registered anywhere if that person hasn't registered anywhere my theory would be that the marshals would begin a nationwide search for the individual and that would not be good when they located you so that's what i think happens but again these are all my opinions and speculation
1: and you think that upon exit from that establishment that fine housing unit that he is uh living at right now that when he leaves that like they would call is it some sort of do you think it's an automated document push do you think they call up hey joey so and so just left from such and such and uh, so keep your eye on that they show up in three days?
2: I don't think they call. What I think they do is we're in a technological uh, society now where things are done electronically. So I would think what they would be doing would be as a courtesy to Kansas. I'm not sure Kansas can require it, but even if they cannot require it as a courtesy to Kansas, they would notify them by electronic means that a, that an offender is being discharged from that facility. Very few of them are going to end up registering in Kansas because they didn't originate there but in addition to that since they can be dispersing anywhere in the nation they would send the same electronic communications to the marshals because the marshals would be the ones who would ultimately task with tracking them down because the state only tracks within their jurisdictional boundaries so that was one of the impetus that was an impetus for the adam Act to begin with when they passed awa is that the state once they were satisfied that the person was no longer there they had no economic interest to do anything else. If you've left the state of Iowa, and Iowa is fairly satisfied that you've left there, why on earth would they want to hunt you down and bring you back? They would want you doing whatever you're doing illegally in another state. So that's why, as a component of the Adam Walsh Act, they created this fugitive apprehension team. So once there's a jurisdictional boundary has been claw- crossed by a person who has a duty to register the marshals have that necessary jurisdiction and they would track him down. That's my opinion. It'd be nice if we could confirm this, but I think that's probably what they do.
1: Samuel also then stated states seem to vacillate between initial registration registration after confinement needing to occur within three days of entering the state or three days of release from confinement. Georgia and North Carolina, for example, state clearly that one must register within three days of release from confinement. Georgia even clarifies that this requirement pertains to those punished under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, the OCGA 42-1-1, or sorry, 42-1-12, E. paragraph 5. My understanding of your conversation with Ashley is that these statutes only pertain to people incarcerated within that state. If this were the case, though, why would Georgia specify that, even for residents, the three days pertains to either release or entry into the state, suggesting that it does not pertain only to those incarcerated with the state. Holy moly. This starts looping around and getting confusing.
2: (laughs) I never intended to convey Mm -hmm. that the registration requirements only apply to those incarcerated in the state. My intent was to convey that that a state beyond where a PFR is incarcerated does not have the requisite jurisdictional hook to require anything of the PFR until the state gains jurisdiction. Generally jurisdiction attaches once the person does one or more of the items on the list that require him to register. And as a general rule, these things are becoming employed, attending school, being physically present for a certain number of days, or establishing a residence in the state. If the person is released in another state, jurisdiction does not commence by Georgia if that person is released in Iowa until one of more of those things occur. Now, I didn't forget what he said about what the uh, uh, uh Code of Georgia says about even those in military custody. What I'm guessing, and I didn't do the research prior to this program, but I'm guessing since Georgia has a large number of military installations, that it would be... Seem that there's likely a brig of some type. I know they have brigs all over the United States. They don't do long term incarceration in, in Georgia, but I, I'm confident that there's a military installation possibly in Georgia that has a brig. You got Warner Robbins Air Force Base, you got Dobbins Air Force Base. I mean, we could go on and on Fort McPherson. We got all those military installations in Georgia. So it could be that someone in the drafting process of the Georgia General Assembly said, Well, what about these people? And the, we got our jail houses covered. Well, what about them that are released from whatever that facility might be that houses military confinees? But other than that, it may have just been an add on. But clearly, just because it says it doesn't make it something that they can enforce because they have no jurisdiction to require a facility in another state to provide them any notice whatsoever now the military again as a courtesy may be providing it to the state of Georgia. We don't know all these things but uh, that being said even if he if he is pro- if Georgia is provided a list of people that he's been released, if he didn't do anything that would trigger their jurisdiction there would be A a prosecution would die on the vine, even if they tried to initiate one, because there's just no basis to require him to do anything until he attaches himself to Georgia.
1: So Samuel also said, "I do understand that there are jurisdictional issues with federal, state, local, military, county—god, like the list goes on. Every little, tiny little jurisdiction has their own little hook into everything. But I do not understand any other way to read these statutes or why some states would specify release from confinement over." Entry into the state. I would I would say, Larry, those are two very significant words that, to make difference of whether you're just talking about released or entry into the state. Accepting the latter raises confusing questions while abiding by the former makes things pretty straightforward and simple. Can you explain why the state statutes read release from confinement?
2: Sure, because both things are happening. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's because there's an understanding that one, there's no jurisdiction for requiring registration for a person not connected to the state. It would be like requiring a person to register a motor vehicle when they aren't connected to the state. And two, the problem they were attempting to address in their lawmaking capacity was capturing the large number of offenders that would need to register promptly when released from their prison system. I would just venture a guess that 95% of the people that are in the Georgia prison system are going to be staying in Georgia when they're released maybe 85 percent, but a huge number of them. They want to capture that population as quickly as possible. So that's why they have the language in there about upon release. Okay, under his logic, what about the people who never go to prison? It doesn't, I mean, he didn't mention anything about people who are put directly on probation. I guess we could read into that that they don't have to register, correct? I'm in. Sounds good to me. Uh, so, but, but so that the language came about because they're trying to capture the bulk of the people who are being released from prisons that they do have jurisdiction over. There will be a second segment of people who will be entering the state who will be just registrants alone who may have nothing to do with the correctional system other than the civil regulatory scheme. Or there'll be people who are coming in on compact who are serving a part of their parole or probation, and they're compacting into Georgia, and they need to get registered within the requisite number of days that Georgia's provide. Say, for example, they're compacting in from Vermont, where I think it's 10 days, and I'm just doing that from recollection. I may be wrong, but I think they have a 10-day window. When you come to Georgia, that 10-day window's out though That's no longer relevant because you're not in Vermont any longer. So they're th- that they need to have guidelines for both segments of the population.
1: Uh, um, So then to continue, Samuel asked, if the requirement is only that registration must occur within 72 hours of entering the state, it would seem to me that we are working on the honor system here. Is this the honor system?
2: Uh, It is indeed. But it's an honor system with huge consequences for those who do not comply. And it's a system that has a plethora of reporting systems in place that distribute leads to law enforcement. It's not like your little motor vehicle if you don't do that within the requisite period of time for example you go move from new mexico to colorado and say colorado has a 30-day window that you need to register your vehicle and you don't do that nobody in new mexico was reporting that to colorado so the only way colorado is going to pick up on it is if they ask you for verification of when you arrive there and somehow or another they can discern that you were there longer than the 30 days and they're they're likely to impose an economic penalty for late registration so but it is an honor system as i said but it has a lot of reporting taking place as correctional facilities are reporting who they're discharging Uh, courts are reporting who they're placing on supervision there's all these reports flowing that has people looking for you in addition the law enforcement apparatus has nearly unlimited resources to track you down if you don't comply, as opposed to most civil regulatory schemes, where you just have they happen to stumble upon you if you don't comply. This one is geared up with vast money to go out and track you down.
1: Uh, Samuel asked, "What constitutes entering the state?" You know, Larry, this was a whole lot of consternation for people when we had the conference in Ohio of like setting up temporary domicile. Like the language is seems, I'm like almost it's intentionally vague to confuse you, or like they like it. There are certain words that could be very explicit and straightforward without a lot of interpretation. But when it says set up temporary domicile upon entering the state, like does that mean when you put your head down on the pillow in the hotel, or does it mean when you like registered at the like when does that time cross? So to continue in other words what act triggers triggers the start of the 72 hour clock driving across the border landing at an airport how does one prove this if an authority shows up at my door accusing me of not registering on time what do i do show them an airline ticket step? i say you flip them the two birds there that's but maybe that, maybe that's probably not the right answer
2: i don't strongly encourage that <laughs> <laughs> so my understanding is that a person enters the state when he or she crosses the state line. I mean, we, we've stressed in this podcast that statutory schemes are supposed to be dri- uh, dri- uh, drafted with precision, ordinary language that a person can understand. So you've entered the state when you actually enter the state and cross the state line. But at, at the point you cross the state border... You have indeed entered the state, but even though you have entered the state, that in of itself does not necessarily trigger a duty to register. He or she would have to meet one or more of the other criteria that we just talked about above, which is very similar throughout the country, things that trigger a duty to register. And it's been my experience that they do not ask for proof when you actually entered the state. But having said that, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that they might pose such a question if they have any suspicion or reason to do so. And this would be far more likely when a person is transitioning from one state where he or she is registered already to another state. See, you're already in a system that has generated a report. For example, in my state, you have to notify them, I think it's 10 days before you're going to move out of state and maybe 30 days, but you have to notify them that you're going to move. They trigger a notice to the state you tell them you're moving to that doesn't apply to all the scenarios that sam cooked up because he's not leaving as a registered person yet to my knowledge i don't think they're registering people to jr cf there in, in fort leavenworth so in the situation he's described it would be very unlikely they would ask that but i mean could they ask that yes i suppose they could nothing stops them from bars them from asking when did you get here and i don't suppose anything bars them from saying uh can you prove that but I guess my question would be, how do you prove a negative? If you say, "Well, I got here, I got here yesterday," let's say you're driving down I-75. You just uh, you're you've been in Georgia for seven, fourteen, fifteen days, and you're driving down I-75, and you have only done campgrounds. You've only stayed at places where there's no registration of you at a hotel. There's no credit card swipe or anything that they could ever get. And you said, "Well, I just got here. On, uh, uh, you're two hours into Georgia. I just rolled in." Yep. How would they know? I mean, trust me, they don't have, we, we joke about the hovercraft. There's not a hovercraft assigned to you. You don't have that level of importance that they're going to put a detective on you, following you, the day you get out of the prison in Fort Leavenworth to make sure that they know what you are doing. It's just not that, it's just not that important. It is important. Absolutely, it's important. You'll go to jail if you don't do it. You'll go to prison. But they're not telling you in real time.
1: Uh, Al in Maryland asked, would they even look at credit card swipes?
2: I think they could very easily do that. After serving on the grand jury here in Albuquerque and all the uh, investigative subpoenas that we issued in my three-month term, it would take virtually nothing to get a subpoena for them. The cops asking for it is all it takes. So if if the law enforcement came in and said that they're investigating a failure to comply with PFR requirements and that they wanted to get credit card uh, uh, data, I think they would have virtually no trouble getting it. Because we issued probably at least 40 to 50 easily subpoenas and we didn't question any of them.
1: Samuel then posed the following, what if I never, quote unquote, reside? In North Carolina, but simply visit my family, never exceeding the time I'm allowed to stay in the state before registering 14 days. So on day 13, I go to South Carolina and quote unquote, visit my buddy Carl for a day or two before we go home to visit my family again. Wouldn't
2: this be completely legal? Uh, Yes, on its face, it would be completely legal. But keep in mind that some, if not all states have a cumulative number of days that a person can be present over a one year period. And sometimes it's a rolling one-year period, and that can trigger duty to register. Now, again, I don't know how they would know what the cumulative number of days that you've been in the state, but they do have that on their books. In addition, you do not want to play games with the system because this is one of the reasons that laws are amended. Law enforcement people approach legislatures with examples of how registrants are gaming the system. So if you make it known that, well, I tell you what, I done read y'all's law real close, and as long as I leave and go back across the state line for at least a few hours and come back, I can skirt this. That is not going to go over well, because that will be handed in as the reason why we need to change the requirements of the law. So if you're going to do that game, I don't encourage it, but if you're going to do it, don't tell anybody you're doing it.
1: (laughs) God, I don't know why you wouldn't tell anybody. Um, well, let's keep going. So obviously, I, and I, he's being facetious, I'm speaking as Sam, but my point is this, if no one is tracking my movement, and as you said to Ashley in your phone conversation, and if I were not on supervision, why would I register in the first place? This laissez-faire attitude about registration seems to fly in the face of everything you and Andy have been telling us about the U.S. Marshals and sting operations and SUVs pulling up in front of my home. Larry, I want to interject here for just this one one moment registration is scary as you fill in that next word. But at the same time, they're still humans on the other side of it. Unless something triggers them. And I guess if they have some sort of wild hair up their hind, they're not coming to go look for you. Like you have to kind of like trip some tripwire somewhere for them to come at you. But when they do, they're going to come for you. So th- I don't think we have a laissez faire attitude about it, but they, we also have an attitude of like, Try to live your life also and don't live in fear.
2: Correct. And this is kind of an example that occurs when a conversation has been filtered through another person. No disrespect to anybody, but start a conversation around a room of a dozen people and come up with one sentence and ask people to circulate that sentence around the room and come back and see if it makes the round. I have never suggested or even implied that a person should take the registration obligations lightly. You should not. What I have said is that a person can overthink and come up with wild scenarios and and then obsess over them. those scenarios. Some of the scenarios communicated are very creative, to say the least. And in fact, it takes a very creative mind to come up with some of these hypotheticals. The reason you should register is that you have an obligation to do so and that failure to fulfill that obligation will eventually send you to prison. They will find you. It's not like it was pre-Adam Walsh when the states had no interest in tracking down the missing PFRs, and there were alleged to be 100,000 who had gone off grid. The federal marshals have limited, unlimited resources, and they love making these cases. They yield very long prison sentences in the federal system, long terms of supervised release following this, and if you get convicted of a registration violation In the federal system, you're going to serve a period of incarceration, and you're going to be put back on PFR-type supervision, polygraphs, and all that stuff. Take this seriously. It is not to be played with. If you have an attitude that you can fly under the radar, if you stay in this country, they're going to find you.
1: There's there's a, there's a movie clip out there. I was almost going to grab it for this episode tonight. I can't remember what movie what it was from, but it was we will find you and we will kill you. Like they just kept repeating that. But what if I jaywalk? Uh, we will find you and we will kill you. I was like this totally fit for this scenario of this. Um, all right. Then Samuel wrote the following. I imagine that Sorna and A.W.A. was passed to clean up these issues. I think that's correct. What I'm hearing, though, suggests to me that the 72 hour regulation is completely arbitrary. That is also correct. As an example, is there anything codified to prevent the following scenario? After leaving Fort Leavenworth, I needed some time to collect my thoughts. I'm not destitute, so I rent a car and head for Colorado to see the Rockies, being so close. I spent a few days at a family-oriented resort. That's probably a poor choice, a family-oriented resort. You should find some place, like, way off the map. But then I leave the state well before I would need to register in Colorado. I'm now headed to Iowa to see my brother. While there, we go to my nephew's school to see a play in which he is the lead. Afterward, he asks if I can help chaperone my niece's sixth uh, birthday party at the park. These are all bad ideas. I leave Iowa well before I would need to register to go see my friend in Washington. He surprises me by the next day by uh, on a family-friendly cruise. Now in international waters and still having not registered anywhere, I'm good to go. After a few days, we return. I fly out of Washington well before I would need to register in that state. I arrive in North Carolina and I register in Cumberland County where I will reside within 24 hours of entering the state. It is now two weeks since I left confinement, but I'm well within the parameters of registration under the entering of the state model. Larry, do you see any potential violations here?
2: Uh, Actually, as a non-supervised, let me emphasize as a non-supervised, I see a plethora of violations if you're under supervision because all those things you described would have been off limits. It's a condition of parole, probation, any type of PFR supervision. But at first glance, as he described it, I don't see any problem. Everything he described would be uh, legal. What I do see in the scenario is that it's extremely unlikely to occur in the real world. This means that nobody in the various legislatures would have ever thought of this. And even if they had thought of it, there's really nothing they can do. A non-supervised person is free to travel as he or she sees fit when they're released from custody. All the person needs to do is be cognizant if there could be a registration obligation in the states they're visiting so i would encourage him not that the hovercraft is following him but just in case he has any encounters with law enforcement and they run his history if he's in all the states he mentioned and they say oh we see that you have this conviction make sure that you've thoroughly analyzed what all the various things are that could trigger a duty in that state like in las vegas nevada if you were to go there he didn't have it on a list but if he went to las vegas nevada he would have 48 hours my understanding to get registered and therefore he could be in violation of nevada law and possibly the federal law as well because i think we can agree that kansas and nevada are separate states right
1: (laughs) yes that's an obvious question yes they are separate
2: in order to get to Nevada, you'd have to travel in interstate commerce, leaving Kansas. You know, so they—that Walshak defines a movement across jurisdictional boundaries as inter, travel in interstate commerce. So therefore, he would have left Kansas. He would have traveled in interstate commerce. He would be in the state of Nevada. He would have exceeded the requisite 48 hours, which is the perfect jurisdictional setup for the marshals to prosecute him. So, if the at the Las Vegas metropolitan police were to have some reason to run his background something tells me that they would relay this to the u.s marshals because the federal law is so much tougher that they'd like to hand these cases off they don't want to do any work and b they can send them away on the federal government's dime so again if you're going to do these scenarios which nobody alive i've never heard such a scenario in all my life i mean this is one of the best ones i've ever seen but if you're going to do all these things then make sure that you're complying with the registration obligations of that state within the requisite time of being in that state. Newsflash, if you register in Nevada, they will keep you on the list for the rest of your life. Even though you move out, they'll show no longer there, but you're still listed there. So think real hard about going to Nevada. Think real hard about going to Florida. There are a number of states that have very short windows of registration. And you'll be stuck on their list for the rest of your life. Even though you're not having to register there, you'll be stuck on their list.
1: And, and just to, to pile on top of that one, that like Georgia, when you move to Georgia, it says if you are on a registry anywhere else, not whether you're required to register, whether you've been convicted of or anything like that, that, that is the wording is that, are you required to register anywhere else? And if you are on listed on one of those registries, then you get to register in Georgia when you get there.
2: I have told this story before, but it's been a hundred episodes back. There was a guy many years ago who contacted me in my capacity of a consultant. He had been convicted in the state of Wisconsin and he did not have to register in Wisconsin because his crime predated their coverage period. He was like in 93 and he wasn't covered his conviction. And he decided he was going to go out and make him a bunch of money in Nevada. And he goes out there and they said, welcome to Nevada. We're glad to have you here. And in order to work in the gaming industry, you need a card, a gaming card. And so you need to run down, get fingerprinted, and we'll give you your card. And so he got fingerprinted. They ran the background check. They said, oh, you've got this old conviction from 93. And so then the Nevada authorities, they said, by the way, we understand you're coming here unregistered, but our coverage period encompasses you. You know, ours goes back further than 93. So we'd really appreciate if you would get registered with us and he did get registered he discovered that being on the registry was not as exciting as he had hoped you know the the, working in the casino industry it faded its luster when he had to register so then he wants to go back to wisconsin when he gets back to wisconsin they have that exact same language you just described in georgia if you're if you're registered anywhere you have to register there and he said, well, but wait, wait, I'm not required to register. They said, well, look at what it says in the law book. It says, if you enter this state while registering in another jurisdiction, you will register here. And they said, "Can be, it can't be any clearer than this. And, and he says, well, I don't agree. And they said, well, if you don't agree, we're going to lock you up. <laughs> and so he, he registered. And then he decided to move to the state of New Mexico because our coverage period doesn't start to 95. And he was off all supervision prior to 95 related to his offense. So he comes here and New Mexico said, well, you know, we we don't have any basis to require to register, so you're done. Then he goes back to Wisconsin as a non-registered person. Point of making, this is very nuanced, convoluted stuff. There's not a soul that can tell you this stuff. There's nobody you can call. It's all very unique to your circumstances and what you do.
1: Samuel continues, I have not heard or read anything yet that would suggest that my activities in this scenario would not be completely legal. So, again, what am I missing? I've been telling you guys here that they need to register within three days of release. In fact, I was halfway through an article to help inform the inmate population of this requirement when Ashley spoke with you. It is now on hold as apparently I have been wrong all this time. Has he been wrong all along, Larry?
2: Uh, No, he has not. So, each person's circumstances are completely different. Some will be leaving JRCF under parole supervision. Under those circumstances, that person will not be permitted to take cruises and travel across the United States on a two-week or one-month vacation. That person is going to have explicit conditions on their parole that says you will report to a parole officer in X number of hours or days. On the other hand, a non-supervised person can do exactly what he described. The person leaving under supervision should follow explicitly what their conditions are that they're they're being told, unless you wanna risk being violated right away. If they tell you to report within 24 hours, you do report within 24 hours. And if you have a difficulty, you have to have, before you get discharged, you say, look, what happens if the bus I'm riding blows up And it's no longer operable, and I'm not going to make it. Or suppose there's a, I think, even a a snowstorm came up in this scenario of of things that, that was discussed. What happens? Who do I call? And that's what you need to do, because they will violate you if you don't reach the destination report in timely. But if you're not under supervision, you're only on a civil regulatory framework, which is a whole different standard. It's serious business. You need to comply with it. But you have basically freedom to do what you want to do and go where you want.
1: And it's a civil regulatory scheme, right? I mean, this the, the, akin into your driver's license. I, I, I know not, but sort
2: of, right? Right. It's a civil regulatory scheme. We need to learn to say those words, even though it feels very punitive. In many aspect, is very punitive. It helps you when you're arguing in a political setting mm-hmm. against. Things they want to add on. You, if you can bring yourself to utter those words, which I've not been able to get many advocates to do that, you can say, "Look, folks, in a civil regulatory scheme, we can't do these things because the civil regulatory scheme is vulnerable to a constitutional attack. If you start trying to inflict punishment, we know that you feel bad for the victims. We understand that you want to get at these people, but you can't do this within the civil framework of a regulatory scheme. Try those words. You'll find that they're very effective." But most people just reject it out of hand because they don't want to say, well, Larry, you must be, I don't understand why you're so stupid. You don't understand. There's nothing civil. There's nothing regulatory about that. This is punishment. Why can't you admit? I can't admit that. I do it all the time. But (laughs) it's still, it's on the books as a civil regulatory scheme. And you use that to your advantage. And you tell them, hey, this is a vitally important public safety tool that can't be jeopardized by trying to inflict punishment. They've paid their debt, they've done their time, they've done their supervision. This is merely a tracking mechanism. We cannot impede their liberties through a civil regulatory scheme.
0: Are you a first-time listener of Registry Matters? Well, then make us a part of your daily routine and subscribe today. Just search for Registry Matters through your favorite podcast app. Hit the subscribe button and you're off to the races. You can now enjoy hours of sarcasm and snark from Andy and Larry on a weekly basis. Oh, and there's some excellent information thrown in there, too. Subscribing also encourages others of you people to get on the bandwagon and become regular Registry Matters listeners. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to Registry Matters right now. Help us keep fighting and continue to say F Y.
1: Well, I'm going to bring Ashley on, Larry. And uh, so, Ashley, do you have any follow-up questions that you wanted to go over?
4: I do. Um, First, I want to say my husband knows what he needs to do for his situation. He is in a role at the prison where guys ask him questions, and he's supposed to find answers and get back to them. And so a lot of his questions and his goal is to inform the inmate population there. And unfortunately, there's no one there who either cares enough or is intent enough to help them with these questions. And I mean, we're talking like less than a handful of guys maybe get released each month. So they feel like with such a small population, they should be able you have someone help them and answer questions and no one can seem to be bothered to do any research or help them and they certainly can't do it themselves so i appreciate that you guys are answering questions
2: well i i somewhat disagree with the assessment of that the people i don't know what their job descriptions are i don't know what they're required to do you know, what their role is but registration is very nuanced and complicated and enforcement is very uneven even within the state itself and many states operate on a hybrid system meaning that the, the state police or the state law enforcement doesn't run the registry itself it's all delegated to georgia for example 159 different counties in georgia texas 254 different counties and the different counties have their own unique way of doing things and interpreting the law and Some counties are far more zealous in their enforcement, and they even are prone to invent things. And in addition to that, there's a plethora of locally imposed restrictions across the country. All states don't have locally imposed, but many do by counties and cities. But the bottom line is, I don't know what information, I think we talked about this, uh, what information additional that, that what they're being provided do they want? The bottom line is you're going to need to register you should register as promptly as you can when you enter the state, and they will tell you what you need to do when you get there. They will tell you. if It's just like when you take your car in. Andy and I talked about that in pre-show. You take your car in, you take the documentation, and you try to register it. And they say, well, we'd like to register your car, but it needs an emission inspection certificate. Do you have that? Well, no, I don't. Well, it needs a VIN inspection. Have you taken it by to get the VIN inspection? Well, no, I haven't done that either. It has to be certified because it's coming into the state new. They will tell you what you need to do. When you get to the registration office, the registration is going to be very similar around the country. Some states have a lot more information they're going to collect. But as far as I know, everybody collects a photograph. Everybody collects a DNA sample. Everybody collects your name, where you're working at. They collect Internet monikers in most, if not all, the states now, what you know what your online identifiers are. There's even litigation pending against that. They will ask you where you're going to be employed. Some states will ask you more stuff even if it's not in the statute. In the case of Cumberland County in North Carolina, they have been known to impose things that are not in the statutory scheme. So I'm not clear at all of what they, they feel they're missing. They're being told you have to register. They're being told within three days, which is the most conservative application. It may not be three days. It may be a state. They may be going to Vermont where it's 10 days. But if you register as quickly as you can, I'm not sure what else they're wanting to know that they feel like they're lacking. And maybe I'm just not able to comprehend. So help help me understand what they're missing.
4: So I think all of these questions and crazy scenarios popped up when uh, last month they started a new thing at the prison where... When the guys were released, they would used to, they would take them to the airport and fly them home. They're on their way. But now they send the guys from prison at Fort Leavenworth to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, where they do the out-processing kind of stuff, and then they fly them home. This whole time, they are unsupervised. They are released, you know, as soon as they leave Fort Leavenworth. So the guys were kind of getting worried. Does, Does that day one start? you know, when they leave Fort Leavenworth, and then they're wasting their time in Fort Still, possibly. And then that's where the blizzard scenario came up. Like, what if the planes delay? What if, you know, it's just like, in the federal government, they're not going to be like, well, the army said, you know, that they're just concerned that that's adding. But I guess that's not a real issue if it really and truly doesn't start until they enter their home state.
2: Well, we did discuss that, and we did a lot of work up trying to do the best we can on this program.
4: Yeah.
2: If you were to go to Fort Sill, and I've never been there, but I think Andy was stationed there. But if you were to go to Fort Sill, if you had the ability to come and go from that military installation and mingle in the public, I would think that you would need to register in conformance with Oklahoma's law, whatever that time of entering the state, because you have, in fact, entered Oklahoma. And if you're free to come and go, but if you're not free to come and go, which I think you've made it clear that they would be free to come and go. They're just doing a stop off there to be processed, but they'd be free to come and go. But if they're not free to come and go, I will just about bet my teeth that no state official or county official is going to come barging into a military base and say, well, you know, we want to find out. Seems like you might have some PFRs in here. I mean, they're not going to do that. So, so the question is going to be: Are they free to come and go? So, the so the blizzard comes, and let's just say hypothetically Oklahoma is a three-day state, and there's a blizzard of all blizzards, and they can't get out of there for four states, and they're free four days. They're free to come and go for those four days. Theoretically, I would think that they would have a registration obligation. Does anybody really care that they if they were just passing through? I have never heard of a person who's passing through a state and what you described on their final destination and they got held up for an extra 24 hours. I have never heard of a prosecution of such. Now, is it possible? I suppose anything's possible. But you think with me being on the national lawyers list serve, the state lawyers list serve, having trained attorneys, you would think that if this had happened, if it was a reasonable possibility, I would have heard of it by now, but I haven't heard of that. So I don't think that's a realistic fear, but I mean, could it happen? Yes, it could happen, I suppose. Andy, how 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 deep does the snow get in Fort Seal, Oklahoma? Well, I,
1: being super specific there, it like never snows. It'll be but like really, 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 really bad cold. And it will snow, but it is like a half inch because there's this Wichita Mountains scenario thing there. Like It doesn't snow there. I was there for two and a half, like three years, and it like never snows. So, go ahead, well, Ash. Well, I didn't know who was going to go next. Yeah,
2: well, go, I'm thinking that, yes, you could run the risk of having to register in Oklahoma if you were there long enough. I don't know the specifics on how long, all the different things that can trigger a, a duty in Oklahoma. I know Oklahoma's a tough state, and you could get a lot of state time but not registering. So, I, again, I would say if you get trapped in Oklahoma, do your homework and make sure that you don't have an obligation to register and Make sure you know exactly how long you can be there because – if there is a flight record, if the military flew you there, something tells me they would have. Military is notorious for keeping they they keep records of which way the wind's blowing and how many uh, how many knots it's blowing and and all these different degrees of the bow and the stern and all. I mean they they're notoriously good at documenting. So that would be a case where they might be able to prove it.
4: Yeah, I think the fear was more of not so much having to register in Oklahoma, but showing up to register at home if you've been after you've been delayed in Oklahoma and then they're like you got released three days ago why are you just now here and just you you say we overthink things but this is all brand new to all these guys and it's scary stuff so they don't want to mess up on accident and end up back in prison
2: well uh I appreciate that I understand the the, particular with this harsh sentencing, but When everything else fails, when you're trying to defend a crime, the prosecution, when they're screening cases, most rational prosecution screeners look at, can we prove this, the elements of the crime? And the elements of the crime of failure to register is that the person, the general elements are that they have to know that they have a duty to register. And they have to willfully or intentionally not do that registration. and Assuming that on the scenario that they've cooked up, that Georgia actually has jurisdiction before he ever gets there, which they don't, in my opinion, but say Georgia did have jurisdiction, then it would revert to what the prosecution could prove in terms of the requisite elements. You've got an impossibility defense you can always assert. So you get this before the jury and you say, Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this prosecution was needless, pointless, because my client was honorable not honorably excuse me, was a servant of our country and the armed forces they were released from military custody, and they were unable to make it to Georgia within three days. Are you going to convict him for this, or do you want to send a message to the prosecution for wasting everybody's time? That prosecution is never going to get past screening because a Georgia doesn't have jurisdiction to begin with until he enters the state and b if he got stranded in Oklahoma, you just don't have the requisite elements. You can't meet those. So this, this case would be on life support the minute that it was filed.
1: Larry Chat says, crime? What crime? It's a civil regulatory scheme.
2: Well, you could be prosecuted for failing to comply with civil regulatory schemes.
1: Yeah, if you don't, but, if you don't have a driver's license for X amount of time, you are going to get in trouble eventually.
2: Yes, you would, get a, you would get a very light citation to begin with, you know, it'd be a, a monetary fine, but you keep doing it, you know, everything, everything that's civil and regulatory can be punished. Failure for a young man to register for the United States draft can result in up to five years of incarceration in the federal penitentiary system. So yeah, that's a civil regulatory scheme. I think everybody would agree. There's no punishment inflicted by registration for the draft. Don't do it. and You are subject <laughs> to uh, find out. You are subject to prosecution. Do they give people five years for failure to register? No, they don't, but they could.
1: It's on the books. Please continue, Ashley. Do you Um, have any other questions?
4: I think I'm good. They have a ton of parole questions, but we'll save that for another day. (laughs)
1: So,
2: well, th- we we keep doing this from time to time. It'll probably be a few more issue episodes before we come back on it again. But these are good things. And if these guys are thirsting for information, we'll do the best we can. Remember, we're not experts in the military. My professional career has done nothing in this arena that they're in. So we're learning with you.
1: I I was sharing with Ashley uh, the other day that uh, like I, I, they're not – they're not the first people to be convicted of this, but there's a million-ish, whatever, nine hundred, eight hundred thousand people on the registry. How many of those people were convicted through the military? I bet you the number is in maybe in the hundreds, maybe, that were actually convicted in the military. So the number of people that they could even like coordinate between each other to try and figure out what information they could coalesce together would be scant at best. Yeah, I think that's
4: why it's super confusing is no one at the Fort Leavenworth prison, nobody lives in Kansas. Sorry if you really do, but they don't live there. (laughs) They're not going to stay there when they leave the prison and the civilian rules versus military rules. It doesn't translate the same. So it's very confusing.
1: And Larry, I told you this earlier that I would, I would chill out on questioning them so hard. Like they're, Like there's this whole thing about the government doesn't do anything, but these are people that I would like to get a government job and then they place them in this and their, their requirement is to inform these people about something that they know. They probably don't have a legal background. Maybe they do. But this there's this isn't their life's work either. And them knowing all of the ins and outs of how this whole registry thing is going to work like they're just there to get their GSA pay and go home at five o'clock every day. I would I would hesitate to bag on them so hard about them not being able to offer any information. They're not getting paid extra to know anything more than anybody else knows. This is my opinion. <laughs>
4: I'll keep my mouth shut on that one. <laughs>
1: I just don't I just don't think that that is their their role no, to I be know. like experts at it. They're not they're not Larry level of information about every individual of the 50 registries, the 7 territories, every county, all 5,000 counties and every little city jurisdiction. It's like this is it's a lot for them to know about every individual's situation.
4: No, I agree.
2: So well, we've gone a little bit long, but I think it's been worthwhile, yes. so we'll, we'll have to chop some of these articles, but uh, let's uh, move on if you don't have anything else, Ashley. Uh, we really appreciate you being with us again.
1: Thank you
4: very much. I appreciate much. you guys, and all the guys appreciate you, and want thank to you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for being here again. It's fun.
4: Thank you. All right. Have a great night. Bye.
1: Bye-bye. All right, so- now the fun stuff, Larry
2: let's do let's do the prison telephones and let's do the uh the police shootings i just can't help myself on the police shootings
1: um i need to which one was the police shooting oh it's that one i think oh yeah it never stops right 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 um all right then let me go find where that needs to be good grief okay um just making sure i've caught all right. Uh, when well, you people put in this article about the record number of people killed by the popo, it says U.S. law enforcement killed at least 1,176 people in 2022, making it the deadliest year on record for police violence since experts first started tracking the killings. What on earth? Completely agree with this. What on earth do you, does this have to do with PFRs?
2: Uh, not much until your own, you or your loved one is on the wrong end of an encounter with the police. In 2022, 132 killings, 11% were cases where no offense was alleged. 104 cases, 9%, were mental health or welfare checks, meaning the people had called the police hoping to get their loved one checked on. 98% or 8% involved traffic violations. Uh, 207 or 18% involved other allegations of nonviolent offenses. There were only 93 cases involving crime uh, claims of domestic violence or disturbance. And 128%, uh, 128 or 11% were the person alleged, uh, was allegedly seen with a weapon. So uh, this is a huge problem. And it is going up according to the stats. The, the, uh, anyway, that's why I put it in here, because it's a serious issue.
1: Hey, do you do do you think it's a valid argument to try and compare this to another state like I, a country like I don't know our neighbors to the north where it's not because they have about a tenth of the population in the U.S. where we're at three hundred million they're in thirty ish and I know I'm just doing vague numbers but they have like ten police killings like I don't know what the latest number is is it relevant to compare us to them like that?
2: Yes, it is.
1: Okay. Um, according to the article, there is. Also, some jurisdictions and states that have seen reductions in lethal force. California, the most populous state, has experienced a 29% drop in killings since 2013. While Texas, the second-largest population, has seen a 30% increase in that time frame, according to mapping police violence. Now, why would there be a 30% increase in Texas?
2: Well, I can't say for sure, except Texas has not made reduction in number of police killings a priority, and California has. The consistent numbers year after year make clear that the broad systemic change is necessary to prevent these killings said dr elizabeth Jordy davis a johns hopkins postdoctoral fellow and expert on social movements while there have been growing calls to defund the police leaders of both political parties have advocating the opposite they're pushing for expansion of law enforcement she said There's a continual commitment to using violence to control people and manage problems in this country. And we keep giving the police more and more money and power. We'll continue to see more uh, police violence, Dr. Davis said. Dr. Davis sounds almost like me because I've been saying if you give the police unlimited resources without any accountability mechanism, without asserting your direct supervisory control, what would you expect?
1: Uh you. I mean, is this a red versus blue issue, Larry? Is this is this a mindset of a super blue versus a super blue state where don't take my guns, don't tread on Texas, all that garbage? Do you
2: think it's that? I don't think so. I don't. I think that since it's bipartisan in terms of, I mean, Biden came out and said, "Oh no, we don't need to defund the police," and nobody ever talked about defunding the police, meaning eliminating all funding. They talked about reducing and redirecting some of the funding to police to maybe what was mentioned in the article, which was for mental health responses, which they've tried in some cities, rather than sending out the uniform officers to pull guns on people. But it's pretty bipartisan. When you put your finger up and test the pulse of the population, the people with their cute phrases of defund the police, they won. They scared the hell out of everybody to think that somehow or another, there was a movement to actually take all funding away from the police. There never was. But anyway, so I don't think it's red versus blue. I think, I mean, team red is more likely to be willing to give the police whatever they say they need. But team blue is right in there giving the police more resources than they actually need. But the political reality is, if you talk about reducing funding, you see what happens. We ran spots from from uh, political ads explaining what, what what happens. You know, the fear of crime. You know, we we've, we've done that.
1: All right. And then you did also want to cover this other article there. All my stuff's out of order since you uh, changed like here. I know we ran long and I'm not really picking you on you that bad, but this is from AP news. Biden signs bill to ease cost for prisoners calls to families. And uh, so we have some good news here. President Biden signed this law, uh, a bill aimed at easing the cost of uh, for prisoners to call family and friends. The legislation clarifies that federal communications commission can set limits on fees on audio and video calls inside corrections facilities. This is good news. I vaguely recall that this was put into place during the Obama administration and was challenged uh, in the courts. I'm confident. So right before I got out, Larry, in 2014, calls up to that point were about 25 bucks for a 15-minute call. And then just as I was walking out the door, they became like $4. But then... States sued because that's a significant revenue stream for them, and I believe that it reverted back during the the following administration. So it is coming back.
2: Yes, you are correct in your recollection. According to the article in 2017, under President, former President Donald Trump, the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, abandoned the fight to lower the cost of prison phone calls. A federal appeals court eventually ruled that the FCC didn't have the authority to cap rates. Now, with this legislation, the FCC may indeed have the authority. You just
1: said that they may have the authority and how, how would they or would they not have it?
2: Well, the statutory language gives them the authority but they may or may not have. Keep in mind that this law, like all laws is, is presumed to be constitutional. However, it does not mean that, that it's not vulnerable to challenge. I can think of several challenges that the telecommunication industry might assert. I mean, we're short of time, but I can start articulating them. And also keep in mind that this is a cash cow for the companies and to some degree, the prisons as well. They're not likely to go down without a fight. So I just don't think that they're going to say, well, we've finally seen the light now. (laughs) We don't want this money anymore. I don't see that happening.
1: (laughs) There you go again. You know, I wanted to find a whole bunch of Mr. Doom and Gloom. I I need all those superhero guys with the Dr. Doom and Gloom. Um... And uh, so I also see that Governor Newsom in California signed legislation making calls for how many, how many dollars, Larry? How much is that one?
2: It says free. Oh, can, can that stand? Uh, not sure. I, I don't see how, if it's vulnerable, and I believe that they are vulnerable. You're talking about, now this is, I'm the messenger here, but you're talking about in a system of capitalism, although the inmates are not free to choose their phone carrier. But you're talking about a system where companies have invested enormous sums of money, setting up these elaborate communication systems in prisons that can monitor and pick up on keywords. And you're telling them that they do not have a right to have a return on their investment, that they can't make any money. And of course, the question is, what's a fair amount of money? Well, I've always been told that the capitalist market will determine what is a fair return. And Theoretically, other companies could come in and make a similar investment, and they could pitch to the prisons that we can do this cheaper. So if you're a big believer that capitalism solves all problems and it doesn't need even any governmental intervention, then you would say that this is an intrusion into the capitalist system. I mean, you couldn't say anything to the contrary, could you?
1: Uh, No, I guess not.
2: So so therefore, I think that uh, we could see challenges. We're likely to not could. We're likely to see challenges. And time will tell if they can do this. But this is definitely an intrusion into the capitalist marketplace. And I just don't know if it's going to stand or not. The regulatory framework is very limited in terms of what they can and cannot do.
1: Well, very good. Um, Is there anything else we do? I mean, maybe we have a minute or two before we have to close it all down. Do you have anything else that you want to do before we get out of
2: here? Well, not really, but...
1: Okay, I have to do the thing then. I I have to ask you this thing. Um, So I put an article in there about uh, it was like laws changing across the country. And this one just jumped out at me. And where did it go? California jaywalking in. So despite the protests of law enforcement agencies, California has decriminalized jaywalking, Larry, which tells me that all the jokes that I make about felony jaywalking were not untrue. Because if they've decriminalized it, then it was criminal before. So your turn. Well,
2: I think you're onto something here there is. That's one of the things that was on the books as a pretext. A lot of little petty things are not really there because we're so concerned about them happening. It gives, like seatbelts. I mean, seatbelts are great, and I I recommend wearing them, although I'm not completely 100% with mine belted. But it gives for a pretextual stop. The thing about jaywalking, I mean, the cop could really, most of them could care less if you get smattered. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if, if you if you're walking around and you don't look like you belong there quote you look a little bit out of place and you're a little bit uh, uh just don't fit you jaywalk they have the reason to encounter you and ask you for identification and to do an ncic background check on you so the fact that some of these things are being decriminalized it will stop some of the pretextual stops. Now, law enforcement will invent others. That mean, they don't give up and go away without a fight, so they'll find other things. But every time we can get a nuisance crime off the books and decriminalize, it stops some of the pretext that goes into those, how law enforcement uses those offenses.
1: You just can't admit that it, when I say felony jaywalking that I wasn't exaggerating. You just can't do it, can you? I can't. Well, very good. Uh, So anything else? Did you want to do anything before we hop out?
2: Just welcome. uh, I think we got like 10 new patrons over the uh, Christmas break. We did? Well, I was guessing. Oh,
1: I'm not aware of any, to be honest with you. I think everyone pretty much goes on mental vacation as well. Uh, but I will say happy new year to everybody. It's going to be a fantastic year for registry matters. And I will be sending out all of those little receipts for your contributions for the year. So if you want to, if your company does any sort of matching program, that would be fantastic if you could submit those. Uh, but so happy 2023 to you, Larry, and, uh, I'll see you next week.
2: Thank you. Looking forward to it. Take care.
0: You've been listening to FYP.